Open the Word of God with me to John chapter 6. And let's meet the Lord Jesus Christ as He is in truth. Amen. It's a shame that so few know John 6 in its entirety. They have chosen their favorite verses from the chapter, and so they miss the whole lesson of the character and the conduct and the methods of the Lord Jesus Christ, the expectation, the standards, and the discipleship that's involved in truly following him. John 6, our goal is to meet Jesus Christ. John said that there were many things that could have been written about him. If all were written, the world itself could not contain the books in John chapter 20 and verse 30. But what he had written was written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we might have life through his name. We want to meet the Lord Jesus. We want to believe him. We want to love him. We want to obey him. We want to learn his doctrine and his ways. We don't want to be content with lip service because those giving lip service are condemned in this chapter. He turns from them. He doesn't want to waste his time with them. He drives them away with hard doctrine. Thoughts nearly impossible for the average Christian to comprehend are true, let alone repeated, especially in the Gospel of John. Those who call this Gospel the Gospel of Love haven't read the four Gospels. John is far harder on false believers and teachers and doctrine than any other Gospel. Just read the Gospel with understanding and don't overlook verses looking for your favorite verses. Our goal is to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Never forget what we learned in John chapter 5. That God put all authority and judgment in Him. He is able to give and to refrain from giving eternal life. And He will judge all men in the great day of judgment that's coming when He will raise all bodies from the ground, many to the resurrection of damnation, and some to the resurrection of life. All in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must lay hold of eternal life in agreement with John's goal for this gospel by believing on him. It isn't a condition for us to be given eternal life. It isn't the instrument or the means. It's the evidence and the proof for the assurance and the comfort of our souls that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are told to lay hold of eternal life. And we lay hold of it by fulfilling the evidence and proof of it by drawing nigh to Christ, by obeying Him and proving the good and acceptable and perfect will of God in our lives. The expression to lay hold of eternal life, I mean, is to get your hands on it and know that it's yours, is given twice in one chapter. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verse 12, it's given to Timothy. Paul telling his already favorite minister, lay hold on eternal life. And then in verse 19, seven verses later, Paul tells Timothy to tell the rich that if they will be free with their money in throwing it away and be willing to throw it away for the cause of Christ, they can lay hold of eternal life that way. Because it's far more than wanting what God's going to give us The real evidence of eternal life is what you're going to do for the Lord. And what a difference that is. What a difference. We don't need to have a healing service 
in order for us to love Jesus a little bit more. We need to heal ourselves and give ourselves more wholly to Jesus. And that's why we're here today. We want to learn it from John 6. We don't want to be punished with John 6. We want to be encouraged with John 6 and warned by it. There are at least eight larger lessons very quickly. First, we want to come to Christ the right way and for the right reasons to lay hold of eternal life. Second, belly worshipers live for carnal comfort and gain no matter how much a church, parents, pastor, try to emphasize the spiritual. There's still going to be belly worshipers. Paul had to deal with them. He spoke of them in Romans 16 and Philippians chapter 3. Without God electing to eternal life in a prior work of grace, there cannot be and will not be true faith. No man will believe. No one will come to Christ without that work. Number four, the market objectives and methods of seeker-sensitive megachurches are unscriptural, and John 6 proves it. Number five, many talk about Jesus, but it is another Jesus. It is another spirit, and it is another gospel from the devil himself. That is all found in the first half of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Do you understand and accept that preaching as Jesus preached can be hard and obscure? It's the Bible. Number seven, the Roman Catholic blasphemy and heresy of transubstantiation is not taught in this chapter, nor is the Lord's Supper and Communion even mentioned, though it does speak of eating the flesh and drinking the blood of the Son of God. Number eight, there can be spiritual application to words in the Bible that we should not minimize or overlook because that's where the wisdom of God is coming through. As these Jews and so many others missed in their blindness to the word of God. John chapter 6 has 71 verses. I've tried to break it into bite-sized morsels for you that you can understand it more thoroughly. If you're looking at the chapter in front of you, the first four, I'm going to go over this again. I send it to you twice now. I know what I've done and what I haven't done, but I know that repetition is important and we may never have the chance to travel the way of John 6 again. That's right. The subdivisions of the chapter, verses 1 through 4, give us the audience and the setting. Verses 5 through 15, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Verses 16 through 21, the miracle of walking on the water of Jesus. Verses 22 through 25, the seekers that were fed... The 5,000 pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verses 22 through 25, which we're going to look at momentarily, we have the seekers pursuing Jesus. Verses 26 through 29, Jesus reproves them for their carnality, thinking about their bodies rather than their souls. Verses 30 through 36, they would not believe, though he told them that was the work that would please God. Verses 37 through 45, 37 is a familiar verse. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. That begins the section and it ends with verse 45, God's sovereignty in faith. That if God does not sovereignly bestow repentance and open hearts and regenerate souls, no one will come to Christ. He is that opposite and antithetical to the human spirit and nature. Number eight, 
Verses 46 through 59, 14 verses, a longer section, is Christ's hard metaphorical doctrine of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Verses 60 through 66 is their rejection of him and his doctrine and turning away to go with him and follow him no more. And the last five verses are the reception by the 12 of what he said. That they knew that there was nowhere else to go and they were sure. And they believed that Jesus was that Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's go directly to verses 14 and 15, where we ended up last Lord's Day. Verse 14 tells us about the 5,000. There were 5,000 men plus women and children, as you read in Matthew 14 last evening. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle and swallowed the food, is not said, but understood, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. They recognized in Jesus a man of extraordinary ability. And they compared him to the promised prophet given in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19, which I explained last Lord's Day. These people knew their Bibles. They could quote their Bibles. They could apply their Bibles correctly at times. They saw in Jesus that he was that prophet, and he was. And they wanted to make him their king. But what was their motive? Their motive ruined everything. The devil knows the Bible. The devil knows that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Did the devils like to confess that and declare it in public when Jesus came around? Yes, they did. But their motive was not right. Their motive was to destroy as many souls as they could. And these men simply wanted to fill their bellies with food. That is all. All they looked at is is the Bible and its promises of raising up a man that would take care of their physical lives. We don't want to go to church primarily for the book of Proverbs and its wisdom for daily living. We don't want to go to church primarily to have our family sit together. We want to go to church to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, the cornerstone of the church. He is all in all and the preeminent one in the church. He is to get all the attention. He should have all the affection and all the desire and all the passion should be toward him. Right. He is preeminent. Lord, help us to have the right motive. These men did not have the right motive, so look at the next verse. When Jesus, therefore, perceived that these Bible-quoting, Jesus-loving, prophecy-applying, singers of Jesus as king, seekers, were going to make him and take him by, were going to come and take him by force to make him a king, look what it says, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. He had departed once in the beginning of this chapter to get away from the crowd, and he went to a desert place, as Matthew 14 told you. Now he does it again to get away and to go into prayer by himself. And they come after him, and so he deals them a final blow that takes up this chapter. 
Verse 14 tells us many good things about them. You meet people. You have relatives. You meet people at work that say they are Christians and they go to such and such a church. They carry the Bible. They memorize the Bible. They read the Bible. So did these people. Do you know that among the 5,000 that there were many there that had had Bible study groups that had memorized the Bible that went to the synagogue every single Sabbath without exception that knew the prophecies that were looking for the Messiah that didn't matter to Jesus do you understand it didn't matter to him because their motives were wrong their motives were carnal their motives were physical their motives were bodily their motives were earthly which makes it unacceptable to him. There is a whole nother issue at stake other than you being dressed well, living well, sleeping well, and being in good health. The other issue is the salvation of your eternal soul. And there's only one that can do it, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ, not by feeding you, but by dying on the cross of Calvary after being tortured by the enemies of his nation and being turned over to them by the betrayers of his nation. It is your soul that matters. It's eternity that matters. It's Jesus, the son of God that matters. It's the darling of Jehovah that matters. Not that he's able to feed you, clothe you, help you and get you promoted on the job. Yes. Promotion is from the Lord, but that isn't what is important. We'll let the Lord add those things if he chooses to. And if he wants to make us abject slaves that are lovers of Christ, let it be so. Did you read about the sweet messengers of grief and pain in the third verse of that song? I wanted to jump up and hug a couple of you in the back. Did you read it? The sweet messengers of grief and pain, as long as they lead me to say, more love to thee, O Christ. I know you wrote me first. Let's have our priorities where they should be. Lord set our priorities where they should be. There's key verses in John 6. And 14 and 15 are two of those key verses because 14 describes to us the kind of seekers that we have in John 6. Verse 14 tells us how Jesus was sensitive to those seekers. So we have seeker sensitivity taught in John 6, 14 and 15. Except here's the problem. In this John 6, 14, they were true Seekers in the sense that they came looking for Jesus. And they put diligence into the effort. They knew the Bible. The seekers that Rick Warren, Joel Osteen, Bill Hybels, and others talk about don't read the Bible, don't like the Bible, don't want to be preached the Bible, don't want to go to church because that's where the Bible is used, but they call them seekers. And they refer to sensitive as meaning we will alter our religion. We will alter church so it is an entirely different experience so that seekers, those people who prefer television and sleeping, will want to come. So they turn it into a nightclub and entertainment act. Jesus was not so sensitive. Jesus did not respond to them that way. Jesus turned away from them and got away from them because they were dangerous. They wanted him for their carnal needs. So those two verses are very important. Then the next most important verse is verses 25 and 26. If you want to highlight special verses in John 6, 
25 and 26 are very similar because, again, we have a description of the seekers and then we have a description of what Jesus did in response to them. Verse 25, And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? How did they get there? They had to take shipping. They had to run around the Sea of Galilee if they didn't take shipping to get there. They put forth some serious effort because remember, it took 25 or 30 furlongs to sail there, kitty corner across the sea, didn't it? That's three or four miles. When you take that side of a triangle three or four miles, it's a long way to run around to get to Capernaum to chase Jesus down the city. Some of them took shipping. Others, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, came there out of the cities to get him in the city of Capernaum. And look at that 25th verse. These are serious seekers. They aren't sitting at home watching television. They're not sleeping off hangovers. Well, unless it's too many fish fillet. Fillet of fish is how it's worded. You should know. Is it fillet of fish? It is. Verse 26, here's the response. Here's the sensitivity of Jesus. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me. He identifies them as seekers. Not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Do you know how to read the Bible? Jesus said, you do not seek me because you saw the miracles. Verse 14 says they sought him because they saw the miracles. What is the difference? The effect of seeing the miracles. The effect of seeing the miracles was to make them think they could get a free lunch or have a food vending machine in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. The effect of them owning him as the Son of God, God on earth, Emmanuel, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and falling before him and worshiping him, that did not happen at all inside them. And so we read carefully. There are disciples, and there are disciples indeed. There are believers, and there are believers indeed. They're seeing miracles and believing on Jesus because of the miracles, and there is seeing miracles and not believing on Jesus because of the miracles. And what are we? What are we? And how do we know the difference? We examine ourselves to see how important the Lord Jesus Christ is to us spiritually. We set our affection on heavenly things, not earthly things. We look forward to his coming, not his blessing on a job. Should there be a comparison between the two? In the year 2017, Lord... I'd like you to add to my gross income by 20%. And if you come in 2018, that's okay. Is that how we ought to pray? Is that how we ought to think? Should we even have a mindset even close to that? Or are those the John 6 seekers? They're the John 6 seekers wanting to add to their wallet, fill their bellies, pad their houses, expand their houses, buy new property, get more toys, instead of the spiritual mind of wanting Jesus Christ to come back right now. He should come back right now. If you really want to desire, pray for him to come back right now. And who cares how much you make? And who cares what happens to your money? And who cares what happens to your health? Your physical health is irrelevant. You're all going to die. You're all dying right now. We're going to bury every single one of you. We're all going to be healed. It's called glorification. It's not called alternative medicine. It's not called pharmacy. It's not called traditional medicine. It's not called surgery. It's called glorification. Amen. 
and it's coming. We're going to be healed. So let's have our priorities right. Section 3, the miracle of walking on the water. Verse 16. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea. It's been a busy day. They made their way to a desert place. A great multitude followed them. He healed many, as Matthew 14 taught you. He fed them. Now it's even time. And the disciples go down to the sea to take a ship toward Bethsaida and Capernaum, where they lived. Verse 17. And entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. They went alone. They wanted to get back home before it was too late so they could crawl into bed with their wives and be comfortable back in their hometown. They wanted to get back to Capernaum. Jesus didn't come with them. He had gone into a mountain alone. And he was there until between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning of day 2. This sailing over the sea is in the two other gospel accounts. And you read last evening that Peter gets involved, according to Matthew's account, during that storm on the sea. There is much to read about this haughty city of Capernaum in the gospel accounts of Jesus. This is our Lord's first place of residence after leaving Nazareth that was in the countryside of the Galilean district. It was at Capernaum that Jesus healed the centurion's servant. It was at Capernaum that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, meaning Peter had a wife, meaning that celibacy of the Roman Catholic Church was not practiced by their first pope meaning that I speak as a fool for a moment, but not foolishly. I mean it in the sense of 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12, where Paul sometimes resorted to that method of speech. It was here in Capernaum, the paralytic was lowered, and he called Matthew to be one of his apostles. At Capernaum, Jewish tribute collectors confronted Peter about paying tribute. It was at Capernaum where Jesus preached a great sermon, which we're now hearing in John chapter 6. It was dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Verse 18, And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. A great wind blew to cause a boisterous sea. The Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Gennesaret, or the Lake of Tiberias, or the Sea of Tiberias. The Bible calls it all different forms of speech, knowing that it's a small sea, therefore called a lake. You don't read about the Mediterranean Lake very many places because it's a sea. This particular sea is 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. But there's a wind blowing for trouble and for testing Peter. And I'm going to share a verse with you in the second assembly, so you'll have to wait, that tells us a little bit about the faith of the apostles or the lack thereof. And I hope that it will encourage us. When they had just seen the miracle of the 5,000 and just a couple of hours later they're on the sea and in a storm, what breaks down in them? What broke down that they were afraid of the storm? I'm going to share a verse with you that tells us. Because the Lord considered it rather dramatic as well that they could forget his miracle so quickly. Verse 18, the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. No event occurs in your life without the ruling choice of God, so beware of it. You don't think for a minute, do you, that this storm is by chance. This was arranged by the Lord of heaven and earth. The winds come out of his treasury. He calls all these things by name. He directs them and has his way with them. This storm and Peter walking on the water is covered in Matthew chapter 14. Verse 19. 
So when they had rowed about five and twenty, or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. Five and twenty, or thirty furlongs, is three or four miles. A furlong is one-eighth of a mile. Why does the Holy Spirit use such language? Was it 25? Was it 30? Or was it 27 and a third? It's 25 or 30. Isn't that how we talk? He reduces himself to our ignorance. We don't know exactly how far it was, but it was 25 or 30 furlongs. When Jehu rode into Samaria and Jezebel stuck her head out of a third-story window and threatened him with the danger that was going to happen to him, he said, are there any on my side? And two or three eunuchs looked out. Was it two or was it three? In this case, it's not two and a third. Was it two or was it three? The Lord writes the way we speak. We talk that way, and so the Lord does. Three or four miles. They had rowed about three or four miles trying to make their way to Capernaum. It was between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning because it was the fourth watch. The Bible tells us that in Matthew and Mark. You read it last evening. Now, between 3 and 6 in the morning, they see Jesus walking on the sea. John recorded few miracles, far fewer than the other gospel writers. But here is another, and we have three, at least, three in this chapter. Do you know them? Do you have them in order in your mind? Miracles of healing in the first four verses, the miracle of feeding the 5,000 in the next 10 verses, and then the miracle of walking on the water, calming the storm, and possibly the ship immediately being at its destination as soon as Jesus calmed the storm. You know, when you calm a storm to a great calm, what are you going to have to do to get anywhere? You're going to have to row, unless you just arrive there. And uh, we'll just leave that up since the Lord is not going to make a point from that since the crowd didn't get to see it, but the crowd knew the other three miracles. The crowd knew that Jesus got to Capernaum by some unusual method. <clears throat> they see Jesus walking on the sea. The Lord Jesus could change water to wine and he could walk on water as well. Does either one give you trouble? Your Lord Jesus can do anything, yet most trust in man that can do nothing. Right. Let's put our trust in him. Yes. He's using water in these cases. Can he turn it into a solid without it changing temperature? No problem. Can he heap it up on both sides of Israel and their exodus out of Egypt? No problem. Can he heap it up in the Jordan Basin in order for the, tribe, the nation of Israel to cross over? No problem. Can he cause an axe head to float in the water and to swim around and say, here I am, pick me up. An axe head, mind you, is the toughest, hardest steel, iron that you can get together and put on a handle. But it could swim. Praise the Lord. You know there's more miracles of rain. He could send rain whenever he wanted to. He could turn it into hail at a moment's notice and drop it down as well. And he sends snow. And he sent snow here, I think, a few days ago, but it wasn't much. Thank you, Lord. We praise and trust you in all these matters. Now the Lord Jesus is walking on the water and he draws nigh unto the ship. Jesus didn't merely walk on the water to get back to Capernaum. He walked on the water in a particular direction to arrive at the ship on where his apostles were and they would see him. 
At this time, the water wasn't calm, but rather boisterous, but it didn't have any effect on the Son of God. And we rejoice in that. They were afraid. The apostles had never seen a man walking on water before, so this frightened them. They thought it was a spirit. They thought they were seeing ghosts. And I mean that in a biblical sense of the word, because that's the only way we're supposed to understand it, children. There's no such thing as a ghost the way the world describes it, but is there a spirit outside of its body? Yes. What is that called? A ghost. God doesn't have a body, but he, has a, but he is a spirit, and so he is called the Holy Ghost. Verse 20, But he saith unto them, It is I. Be not afraid. It is I. We sing a song that way, that we shouldn't be afraid because it's the Lord with us. Hope thou in God. He shall yet be the strength of your countenance. God is with those that love and obey him. In Isaiah chapter 58, If you will humble yourself, repent of your sins, and draw nigh to God, he will say to you, Here I am. It's Isaiah 58 and verse 9. It is one of the special verses in the Bible. Do you want God to be saying that to you? Now, I grew up as a child hearing the story of Samuel. As a young boy left by his mother to serve Eli in the tabernacle in Shiloh. Well, the Lord appeared to Samuel one night. And Samuel would say, here am I. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. But when God says it, that's just precious. Here I am, to you personally. Isaiah 58 and verse 9. And so here the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, It is I. Jesus will never leave or forsake his own. And the apostles would know that later and would write it to us, but they weren't fully convinced of it yet. And so they were frightened in this storm and seeing him on the water. And we'll learn why in the second service. Be not afraid. Safety is of the Lord. The proverb that is out there for this weekend, Proverbs 21 and verse 31. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. We lock our doors. We take ordinary, reasonable precautions to protect ourselves, but safety is of the Lord. We only take ordinary, reasonable precautions for our health, because health is of the Lord. Everything is of the Lord. You cannot alter the Lord's purpose in your life in such things. Because if you do more than ordinary or reasonable, he will blow against you and destroy your health. If you put trust in doctors, you will be the sickest person in this assembly. If you do not put trust in doctors, but put your trust in the Lord, you'll be on the healthier end. He's promised that. In Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Because except the Lord keep your health, the doctor's visit is in vain. You've read it, haven't you? Right. Oh, except the Lord build the house. Right. They, that labor build, they that build it labor in vain. And except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. There's no reason to be afraid. David put it this way in Psalm 4 and verse 8 about safety at night. Listen to these words. I will both... Lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. What can man do unto you? Nothing. And what if he could? What if some men came into your house and dragged you out in the street, asked you if you were a believer in Jesus Christ and blew your brains out when you said yes? Is that a terrible event? I'm asking you in the... the, 
vernacular and doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that a terrible event? No. Jesus said, Fear not them which kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you should fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast both body and soul into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Right. He's the only one we should fear. Amen. And there's no such thing as a ghost of the world's making. There are spirits. But greater is he that is in you, children, than he that is in the world. Verse 21. Then they willingly received him into the ship. After he encouraged them and comforted them that it was him and they didn't need to be afraid. They then, they willingly received him into the ship and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Though fearful at first, the disciples took Jesus aboard with delight for him. We want to consider that even the apostles missed the miracle with the bread by just a delay of a few hours and a different set of circumstances. We get delivered from something, and we want to come on Wednesday evening and shout out the Lord's reversal of fortune. Then on the way home, something smaller and different happens, and we are in despair. What is that called? That is the human heart in all of its weakness. Adam, thank you for making the point for the benefit of the church that David, the man after God's own heart, had melancholy moments and despondency like you described and read to us from Psalm 42 and 43. That is comforting. That some of you have it doesn't comfort me very much. (laughs) That I might have it shouldn't comfort you very much. We should both say to each other, grow up. But when David has it, and the Lord tells us that David's one of his favorite characters in all the Bible, and he has such weak moments, that is comforting. Thank you, Lord, for putting it in the pages of Scripture. Thank you for telling us that the apostles could witness a miracle and in just a few hours forget it and be fearful again. Oh, Lord, we want to do better than that. And we should do better than that because they wrote to us in the latter times in their lives when they were much stronger than in this case. They did not yet have the Holy Ghost indwelling them like we have indwelling us. And God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Lord, help us. And so they were immediately at the land, whither they went. The key is that the disciples and Jesus safely arrived at their goal of Capernaum together. And so they go into the city of Capernaum where they had relatives. It's now very early in the morning. And here comes the crowd. And so we're to section number four. The seekers pursue Jesus Christ. Verses 22 through 25. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one wherein two his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, After that, the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. This is one of the most obscure variations of using English in your Bible. This sentence. Verse 22 is a non-restrictive clause. Verse 23 is a parenthetical element. 
It is one sentence, and it is saying this. The crowd that was fed, the 5,000, saw the disciples get into a boat at this desert place and go back to Capernaum. They did not see Jesus go into the boat. They waited at that place for Jesus to appear because he had gone into a mountain. Now it is the next day. There is no Jesus. They have waited up all night to see if Jesus would appear. And they realize that we've lost the disciples. We've lost Jesus Christ. We know where the disciples were going. And we know they stay together. So they took ships that had come from Tiberias. This is not the Mediterranean. This is Kiwi. Or a little larger. But this is a lake. And so they took boats and they went to Capernaum and they go into the city of Capernaum and there's Jesus and they ask him, when did you get, how did you get here? Where did you come from? We, we waited for you. We watched. They knew that something spectacular had taken place because he hadn't taken shipping because there was only one and it had gone to Capernaum with disciples aboard. This long sentence, that's what it is telling you. And I don't want to get caught up in it because we could start going through non-restrictive clauses, parenthetical elements, and diagramming this sentence, and we would lose the message of what we want, and that is these seekers were earnest. They stayed up all night. They took shipping. They tracked down Jesus. They went into the city of Capernaum. They found him. They confronted him. They knew that another miracle had occurred, and Jesus gives a response, and that's going to bring us toward our next section. Verse 25 and when they had, there's, a, there's one long sentence from verses 22 through 24, and it's telling you what I just explained to you as you knew from reading it, but if you were forced to diagram that on a chalkboard in school, it is one of the more difficult sentences in the Bible. Right. The day following, you just got to ask yourself, is the day following modifying what's in verse 22 or what's in verse 24? I'm going to give you a couple little hints. Verse 25 is what we want next. We, we find that the seekers, those that were fed, notice it's the feeding of the 5,000 by the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, which is in verse 23, where it says, there were boats that came from Tiberias, which was a, a city on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, where they did eat bread. And it's modifying where they did eat bread with these words, after that the Lord had given thanks. It just refers to the Lord giving thanks as being the instrumental means of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes that caused them to eat bread. The whole multitude got to eat bread because Jesus gave thanks for it. When Jesus gave thanks for that bread by lifting up his eyes to heaven and began to break it, it was a different eating of bread than any other eating of bread they'd ever had. And so John, by the Holy Spirit, just modifies it that way in verse 23. Verse 25, and when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they came over and joined the apostles at Capernaum. They said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? When did you get here? You weren't in the boat with the, with the disciples. There weren't any other boats. We took all the boats that came from Tiberias. How did you get here? They're earnest. They're Bible quoters. Bible memorizers. They understood Bible prophecy. They knew that Jesus matched up with Deuteronomy chapter 18. They saw his miracles. They were aroused by curiosity in the miracles. And they wanted him. They chased him down. This is far more than most today. How many people do we have beating down our doors to get in here? 
We haven't met very many of those seekers because there's very few of them. Those are true seekers. Jesus answered them in verse 26. And this starts section 5. Yes, I'm going quickly. Do you want me to go slower? Then get the outline when it's done. It's at 31 pages right now for half of John chapter 6. John 6 verse 26 brings us to the next section, which runs us down through verse 29. Jesus answered them and said, these seekers, the ones he fed the previous day with the loaves and fishes, the ones that took shipping and came across the Sea of Galilee to find him in Capernaum, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. And so section 5, these four verses, is Jesus reproving their carnality and their earthly thinking. It is important that we carefully learn what Jesus said and how he responded to these seekers. When verse 26 opens up with, Verily, verily, I say unto you, and that Jesus answered them, we should want to know how does Jesus respond evangelistically with such an eager and large audience. Honestly, we want to learn so that we are biblical and we are Christ-like evangelistically as well as every other part of our faith and practice. And so here we have a large crowd earnestly, diligently following him with a scriptural reason for doing so. And they want to make him king. So they can sing their little 711 choruses. A 711 chorus, remember, is seven words sung 11 times. So they can sing their little 711 chorus, whether it's Kumbaya or Jesus is King. These would have sung Jesus is King. But Jesus tells us what he thinks of them. Jesus told them what he thought of them. To their faces. Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles. But verse 14 said, Then those men, when they had seen the miracles, I want you to remember, we've got to divide. It says they saw the miracles. Jesus said they didn't see the miracles. Because the, the miracles did not have the proper effect on them. Just like he's going to compare the bread that Moses gave them with his bread. It, the bread that Moses gave was not truly that bread from heaven. Was the manna, did the manna come down from heaven? Was the manna bread from heaven? Yes, it was bread from heaven. Does the Bible say it was bread from heaven? Yes, the Bible says repeatedly that it was bread from heaven, but Jesus said it wasn't that bread from heaven. Why? Because he's referring to another bread that came down from heaven that is the real bread, that is the spiritual bread, that is the bread that counts. 
And the miracles did not have the proper effect on these people. They did not see that this was Emmanuel with them. They did not see that this was the Messiah, their king, whom they should fall on their faces before him and repent of their sins and cry out, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Because that is what others cried out when they met the Lord Jesus Christ that had a change in their heart. That is Saul of Tarsus. That is Peter on the deck of the ship. That is the woman in Luke chapter 7 that came and washed the feet of Jesus. They understood something entirely differently about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you must understand things differently about him as well. Verse 26, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus marks what he is about to say as being very important with this double verily. It only occurs in the Gospel of John and it occurs there 25 times. Ye seek me. Jesus identified this crowd as seekers, and they truly did seek Jesus of Nazareth. These are not seekers in the modern sense of the word at all. Seekers today are those that ignore religion, but it is assumed they must be seeking. We just need to make church more compatible for them, more interesting to them. Jesus here dealt with a market segment far superior to the unchurched masses. Jesus said, not because ye saw the miracles. You are not seeking me because you saw the miracles. He who knows the thoughts and intents of each heart identified their dead souls. My dear brothers and sisters, he who knows the thoughts and intents of each heart identified their dead souls. He knows your heart. He knows your intentions. He knows your level of passion. How glad thankful, excited, intense, focused are you today, right now, in the worship of God. He knows it all. He is not your friend if you do not come humbly, submissively, eagerly, seeking to know Him, obey Him, learn of Him, to change your life to be more like His life. Though they believed his miracles, they did not love him that did the miracles. They loved the miracles and wanted more of them. Do you understand the care that you, that I, need to apply to read and understand this context? They were not convinced that Jesus was Moses' prophet for their spiritual good. They were only hoping that Jesus was Moses' prophet. They're going to tell you, for Moses like bread. Why are you a Christian or seeking Jesus Christ or a church member? Why? Why were you baptized? Because it was the thing to do? People expected it? Parents expected it? You were continuing to get bugged about it as to why you weren't baptized yet? Why are you here? Why do you even say you're a Christian? The Lord knows the answers to all those things. And he deals with us exactly based on what he knows about us, just like he dealt with these here. Jesus knew these were carnal belly worshipers that only sought a free lunch, my brethren. There are millions of this kind of Christians throughout the world seeking Jesus. They want Jesus because it's a cool thing to do. They want Jesus because they have little bits of pangs of conscience like Judas Iscariot had. They want to follow Jesus because the church services they go to in some megachurch are exciting, thrilling. They go to socialize. They go to network. There are churches downtown that are nothing but network organizations in every city, including Greenville. 
It's where the lawyers and the doctors and the other people go to church. And they go to church to rub elbows with other people like themselves. There are vile ministers that pray on whole congregations with a prosperity gospel, which is heresy, to take advantage of souls just like this and build monstrous ministries out of them because there's so many of them and there are so few that truly love the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many other reasons that reprobates or carnal Christians get baptized. Some do it for their parents. Some do it for their peers. Some do it for romance. Some do it for a spouse. Some do it for a job. Some do it for charity because the church likes to take care of them and hand money out. Some do it for friendship because they find better friends in the church than outside. Some do it out of habit. Why are you a Christian? Why are you here? Why are you baptized? Is it because Jesus is God in the flesh, sitting at the right hand of God, coming to burn this world up, is the Lord of glory, the blessed and only potentate, your only hope of everlasting life, and you have believed on him to save your soul from hell, and you are willing to give him anything in return? Are you? Christians who like earthly things are enemies of Jesus Christ and belly worshipers in the opinion of God and his apostles. It's perilous times when Christians are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We must examine ourselves. Why are we here? Why am I reading John 6? Why am I studying John 6? Do I want to meet the Jesus of John 6 and love him in a way that no one else does in that chapter except the apostles at the end? Is Peter's declaration at the end something that wells up inside of my soul? If Jesus said, will ye go away also, and the whole crowd had left, and there was only a handful of people left, and they were poor fishermen, what would I do? Would I stay or would I go away with the large crowd? Is there even a question in your mind? Is there anything that Jesus could ask of you that you will not give him? Is there anything that you're holding on to that you don't want to give up? What in the world is it? What in the world is it? He is going to discover it, expose it, and judge you for it. Get rid of it now. Chop your agag in pieces. Destroy that idol. Get it out of your life. Otherwise, we're the seekers. We don't want to be these seekers. We want to be those that diligently seek him and who are rewarded by him, who is and is a rewarder, the blessed God. Verse 27, labor not for the meat which perisheth. Give diligence and do some work for another kind of a meat. Not the meat that perisheth, not my bread, not the fishes, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed, the one standing in front of you, the one that you've chased down. He is God's surety for his people. He is the savior of his people from their sins. He is the redeemer promised. He is the seed of the woman. He is the seed of Abraham. He is Shiloh. He's the Lord thy God. Seek him. He's going to say over and over, I am the bread. I am that bread. Here he just says, labor not for the meat which perisheth. And my brethren... Let's stop all the effort and the diligence and the stress and the worry about piling up anything here and pile up good works for the day of judgment. 
Laying up a good foundation in store for the time to come. It's biblical to do that. And let's love the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, for saving our souls. Who cares if right now I was to be struck with leprosy from the crown of my head to the sole of my foot? What if I was to have cancer eating me from the inside out? So what? If my soul is his, let me lie at the gate of the rich man and have dogs lick my sores as long as when I take my last breath and my heart beats the last time and my spirit slips out of its tabernacle, there is a chariot with angels of fire there to deliver me into heaven. Yes, give me that lot in life. But we live in America. We want both. They wanted both. They wanted Jesus as their king and Jesus as their food vending machine. Let us not let the two compete. Are there blessings for following Jesus Christ? Natural, carnal, earthly blessings? There are indeed for our generation. The judgment upon America is one of luxury and prosperity. We cannot let them compete. Young men, no one enjoyed commercial competition any more than your pastor. No one. No one had latent and not latent professional ambitions more than your pastor. It is nothing. It leads to a miserable existence. It steals Jesus Christ away from you. He is offended because you would even think that any promotion or advancement on earth could be compared to being a son of God and a joint heir with him and rule the universe with him. Lord, save us from the confusion. Lord, save us from being double-minded. Lord, save us from having a double heart. Give us a single heart. Will you cry out individually? Will you cry out, Lord Jesus, I'm all yours. I'm all yours and anything I have is yours. Take anything you want. Ask for anything I have. What wilt thou have me to do? I'll do it. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. As opposed to the diligence they were making to chase him across the sea to get more bread. See, they were working hard. They were working hard for the wrong thing, even though it involved Jesus of Nazareth, even though it involved the Bible, even though it involved the prophecy. And they were willing to do anything he might ask as long as it didn't go too far. They're going to ask him very quickly here, um, in verse 28, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Do you know what they're willing to do? They're willing to get baptized for the vending machine. They will be happy to get baptized for the vending machine. They will invite Jesus into their heart for the vending machine. Oh, yeah. I, I can't just leave this here 2,000 years old, can I? I've got to bring it right down to us. Mm-hmm. See, if he'd asked for them to circumcise their ears, cut off the lobe, I'm just making this up, brethren. If he he were to ask them to do something like circumcise their ears, like Moses had made them circumcise their foreskin, they would have done this for the perpetual food vending machine. Why were you baptized? These people would have been baptized if that's all it was. But he was demanding that they believe on him 
as the one sent down from God in heaven, God on earth, Emmanuel, Messiah, the Christ, the Lord of all, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, that they should fall on their faces before him and obey him, and they were not willing to do that. When they asked, what works might we do that we might work the works of God, they were asking only in, a, in, a, in limitation of anything difficult because they were not willing to make a spiritual sacrifice to Jesus Christ. And I ask you, I ask me right now, the Lord's asking us from his word, are you willing to say, what wilt thou have me to do? Is everything you have and anything you have his? Then give it to him. Show him. The widow woman brought all that she had. Ananias and Sapphira had much more. They kept back part for themselves, lied about it, pretended they were great big seekers of Jesus. They were closer to John 6 seekers. They died on the spot. This is the Jesus Christ that we're truly dealing with. If he doesn't strike you dead now, you're going to have to stand before him in the great day of judgment. I'm going to have to stand there with you. There's meat that we should labor for. There's meat that we should be diligent for. What is it? The Son of Man himself. The Lord Jesus Christ in his person. The person of the Son of God, the one mediator between God and men, who sits at God's right hand right now. That man, our Savior, our Lord, our King, is Jesus Lord of your life. Don't say that Jesus is Lord unless he's the Lord of your life. I have preached it before. It's on our website. Type in the words, is Jesus Lord? It will go through every single part of your life, from your hair length to the clothes you wear, and whether they're modest or not, to the music you wear, the friends you have, whether you're a virgin or not at marriage. It'll, it'll cover every single part of your life, whether Jesus is Lord of your life or not. Let's make him Lord. Let's not be seekers like John 6. Will you go away also? Why don't you help our building committee out by going away sooner than later? We didn't have to use chairs this morning. I get excited. Will you go away also? Lord, to whom shall we go? Notice it's a whom. It's not a where. It's not a what. It's a whom. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Thou hast the words of eternal life. We don't, this life doesn't matter. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. And amen.